A Dog's Life is brought to you by Earth Animal No Hide Wholesome Chews. Earth Animal No Hide Wholesome Chews are a healthy, heavenly, hand-rolled alternative to rawhide made from grass-fed beef, humanely raised chicken, and wild-caught Atlantic salmon. They're 100% free of chemicals, additives, bleach, and formaldehyde. It's the sustainable way to keep your dog healthy, happy, and filled with goodness and love. Mr. Binks and Prudence have never had a rawhide because in my book, they're not healthy. So imagine their excitement to enjoy a no-hide chew. Apart from helping to keep their teeth clean, chewing is an instinctual behavior that helps calm dogs by releasing happy hormones. Both Mr. Binks and Prudence relish the natural chewing experience from start to finish, and it gives me peace of mind that I'm giving them a treat that they were born to enjoy. In fact, no high chews are rated as excellent for digestibility, 80% compared to just 18% for rawhide. You can find Earth Animal No Hide Wholesome Chews at a pet shop near you or online at earthanimal.com forward slash UK. A dog's life is supported by Relaxo Pet. It's simply animal relaxing. Being left alone, traveling, fireworks, thunder, trips to the vet, or just a change in any environment can unsettle a pet. This tune sounds very relaxing, yet beneath this meditative melody are levels of frequencies that are only audible to your dog. When I tried out Relaxopet with my excitable miniature bull terrier Prudence, I simply couldn't believe how quickly she settled and actually seemed more deeply relaxed. Her behavior in general has actually dropped several gears <laughs> and she is more confident and calm in herself, so I use it every day. Developed in Germany, Relaxopet emanates cleverly configured frequencies that tune into your dog's subconscious to retrain his thought processes into becoming calm. Tested in collaboration with vets, breeders, pet parents in a huge variety of stressful situations, it boasts a uniquely calibrated speaker system that just plugs in and plays. Along with the Relaxopet sound system, you can develop a calmer dog with other Relaxopet products like the Super Scent Safe Multipurpose Play Ring and the Soothing Cool Bandana. Why not check out their full product range and even order yours today from PetTradeInnovations.com. That's PetTradeInnovations.com. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you remember going to the RSPCA Christmas Carol service last year? Well, we're jumping on Zoom in a minute to hook up with Sam Gaines, who you met. And Sam is the head of companion animal science and policy of the RSPCA. And she's also one of the society's dog welfare specialists. So we can't wait to chat about dog walking, the Animal Welfare Act, and dogs being sentient beings. Hey, Sam, thanks for joining us on A Dog's Life. Hi, Anna. Thanks ever so much for inviting me. I'm really excited, so thank you. 
Oh, well, it's it's great to be doing this over Zoom, I guess, but nothing really beats real life. But the one thing's for sure, through the last few months, dogs have really been hitting the headlines, right? Yes. <laughs> Not all for good reasons either. What's your view? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think this is, for me personally, it's been one of the busiest times I've actually ever had in the RSPCA. So I'm um, head of the Companion Animals Science and Policy Department at the RSPCA. So a lot of what I do is developing policy and position and giving advice and information on companion animal behaviour and welfare. But I actually specialise in dogs. Um, so I cover a lot of issues which affect the welfare of dogs that are kept as pets or for working purposes and also those that are used in sport. So obviously, you know, with the impact of coronavirus, we've been asked a lot for a lot of advice and information, understandably, by owners that have been hugely worried. Um, and I think what's been interesting to see is that at the beginning of lockdown, you know, it was very much that people's pets and especially dogs were offering some sort of comfort during what was this unprecedented crisis and this global pandemic, which was fantastic to see. I think, you know, it's really sort of celebrated how great companionship with our dogs can be and how lovely it is to have them at home. No, I agree, Sam, on the emotional support aspect. I, I certainly couldn't have gotten through lockdown um, without my dogs. No, absolutely. And I've, I've got a little Bichon Frise called Florence, um, who, you know, for, for us and for, for my family, again, you know, has just been a huge support. And I think also, you know, a real reason to get outside every day as well and, and make use of that one exercise period we were allowed. And, you know, and it became super key for making sure actually that it was all about Florence and, you know, what could we provide her for, you know, during the day. But I think, you know, as, as we've moved now through the pandemic, well, not necessarily moved through the pandemic towards the end, but what we're starting to see is things shifting and, you know, I think the RSPCA, like many other organisations, are actually really worried about what the pandemic holds for a lot of pets and might they now be facing their own crisis. So, you know, I've, we're being asked quite a lot now for advice and informa information from people that are thinking of getting a pet still through through the crisis. Um, I mean, there are people sadly out there that are taking advantage of that. So, you know, we're duping people into deceitful sales. Um, we've also got people that are worried about returning to work and the impact that's have on their pets so it's you know it's a like you say really really interesting six months and facing lots of issues that we've never really faced before oh yeah no I, I agree completely I mean another aspect of course I guess is some of these unscrupulously bred puppies will have been bought by perhaps most well-meaning people but if they haven't checked that their accommodation if they're renters for example uh, if their landlords are pet friendly that could you know mean that these poor little dogs are facing eviction through no fault of their own you know it's almost like we've been perhaps a bit selfish as humans to think that you know, man's best friend has been the solution to our problems during lockdown. I mean, it's a compliment for dogs on the one hand, because yes, they offer us everything we need to get through lockdown. But um, as you say, the, the future, nobody knows, I guess, which is the other aspect that makes it all the more worrying. Absolutely. And I think we were very clear, um, or we've been very clear through the last six months in terms that, you know, for some people getting a dog at this point actually is probably 
probably a good time because people are at home more, you know, families have been at home. But I think, you know, what we've really, really stressed is that you have to think beyond the pandemic and you have to think about the fact that, you know, dogs on average live for 10, 12 years. So they're a huge, huge commitment. And for a lot of us, the future is very uncertain. So, you know, so you've mentioned about people that may lose accommodation, but obviously one of the fallouts is that lots of people are unfortunately losing their jobs as well. And so, you know, we were very much of the view that if you'd looked, you know, maybe six months ago to getting a dog and the answer was no, then it probably should still be no because, you know, we're in even more uncertain times. And like you say, you know, it just becomes incredibly difficult for dogs that come into homes, get really, really settled and then may end up being relinquished because of a change in personal circumstance. So, you know, the last thing that we wanted is for more dogs to end up in rehoming centres. Absolutely. Because they're so full already. I mean, you know, oh, I know. I mean, when I was growing up, my dad actually was the secretary of the Shropshire branch of the RSPCA. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, a long time ago. I was probably about eight. And um, as such, you know, I learned about awful animal cruelty at a very young age and it would be something that dad would talk with colleagues and, and friends you know at home so I'd I remember one case of Lucy the Afghan hound oh, and this really left an indelible print on my brain um, this lovely Afghan hound had been left in, kept in a shed all her life and she was um, at the point of discovery you know um, she was so thin her likelihood of survival was uh, on the line but she did survive and found a fantastic home and and it was a happy ending. And, you you know, this is the other flip side of things, isn't it? With We're a nation of animal lovers, as seen through lockdown. We're reaching out to nature more than we've ever done before. But, you know, nonetheless, there is still a lot of animal cruelty around. And where it's maybe not sort of abject, complete cruelty and neglect, arguably, from when my dad was the secretary of the RSPCA to nowadays, so many more people have dogs. Dogs have become almost like a lifestyle accessory, do you think, Sam? And, and this is now changing how we are with dogs, the lifestyle we expect to have with a dog. Absolutely. And I, I, I really, really struggle with it. Um, I absolutely love dogs, obviously. Um, I've got, as I said, I've got, you know, I've got Florence and I've always, I've always had dogs in my life. Um, but I, what I would say is that, you know, loving dogs is just not enough. Love isn't enough when it comes to them. You, you've got to have a really good understanding of what their welfare needs are and what it is that they need to be happy and healthy. And, it, and not just knowing that, also behaving in a way as well that actually translates that understanding into real action for them. And I find it really difficult, I think, with the ease at which people can acquire dogs and the belief that they're very, very easy animals to bring into your life. They are absolutely amazing but very complex as well and you know I've, I've said before to people that have interviewed me around dogs that what I'd really really like to do is almost wipe everyone's existing knowledge of dogs completely clear and and, and get them to start again because I think one of the problems is that there is this belief that just to have had a dog is sufficient and it will make you an expert in dogs and you know, you can be doing things wrong for 20 years with dogs, even though you've had them for 20 years. And, you know, I just think it, it can be very difficult for people to stay up to date with the latest understanding and how best we care for them and manage them. So I would like to almost wipe the slate clean 
Really? I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that sounds great. And maybe I always think if somebody if we could introduce some sort of like a driving license scheme, which, you know, people have to take an exam and maybe do some hands on work. So it's like a, a totally accredited course. <laughs> um, yeah. So before you you know, get behind that steering wheel, <laughs> you know, it's the same uh, before you pick up a dog lead, you, you have to pass the test. Absolutely. I mean, I would, yeah, I would, I would love to see something similar as well. And I think, you know, you're probably aware that the RSPCA is a big advocate of dog licensing. And I think if we had something like that, that could include tests or assessments that, you know, it's not necessarily about you've got to pass this test to be a dog owner, but it's very much about you really need to understand what it means to be a dog owner and that you know your dog is solely reliant on you to provide absolutely everything that they need and you know we make a huge huge difference as to whether they have a good quality of life or a poor quality of life or an absolutely amazing quality of life and it does worry me the number of friends that I that I have that have just gone out and got a dog and not necessarily thought about how best to get a dog and you know it makes quite a few of my friendships very strained Gosh, um, yes yeah because, you know they forget what my job is as well which makes it quite difficult um so it, it is hugely hard but I think you know it's it's just very easy for people to get dogs to bring them into their life and you know dogs I guess are so adaptable as well that they will often just get on with what's happening in their life but it doesn't mean that they're happy and and I think that's what we want to remember. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and you know, recently um, it's hit the press, hasn't it, about the new German dog law, you know, and it's been talked a lot on radio, you know, people saying, well, it's totally unforceable and how dare people at government level tell me I should walk my dog for an hour <laughs> every day. And uh, what do you think of the German dog laws <laughs> proposed? Yeah, it's proposed. I mean, absolutely. I, I agree with the principle behind it, because what the German minister was trying to say is, you know, the message that she put out is that pets are not cuddly toys and they have needs that have to be considered so I absolutely agree with that and encouraging people to think about you know dogs are sentient beings they have this ability and capability to experience pain and pleasure and happiness and joy um, but when it comes to actually prescribing the amount of exercise that's where you know we would differ because I think the duration and frequency that's been suggested isn't going to be suitable for all dogs exactly yeah, and it ignores the fact that, you know, every dog is an individual and they all have different needs and different preferences. So absolutely, I think the sentiment is correct. But in terms of how you actually achieve enough exercise for a dog on a daily basis has to come down to the individual dog. I agree. And it didn't sort of consider weather conditions, for example, you know, and any dog really, not least, of course, a brassophallic breed can't go out in temperatures like we had only yesterday where London hit 30 degrees, you know. Yes. So, but yeah, I, I was kind of behind the, the notion of it because arguably this has been pitched at government in Germany because perhaps it's kind of known that people aren't walking their dogs enough but it's not just sort of on the daily exercise point of view is, is it Sam I mean in line with the Animal Welfare Act 2006 which was hailed as really being this amazing moment in history where animals you know had a law to protect them and there's a law in court where failure to um, adhere to the Animal Welfare Act meant that it was a criminal offence is that right <laughs> Yeah, so, so what was particularly landmark about that piece of legislation is it introduced this new duty of care. Um, so from the RSPCA's point of view, what it allowed us to do is intervene 
and allows us to do now is to intervene before suffering has actually occurred rather than having to wait until suffering has occurred. So this duty of care is um, section nine of the Animal Welfare Act in England and Wales and basically what this actually says is that you are responsible for your pet's welfare needs and these needs include making sure that they've got a suitable home, a suitable diet, that they can exhibit their normal behaviour patterns, have got the company that they need and also that they're health is protected. So as an owner, you have to fulfil that duty. And it's laid out in the code of practice that basically each government within the different UK nations provides. And the idea about that code of practice is that it doesn't tell you exactly what you need to do. But what it does do is gives you guidance, basically to actually show you um, or to explain to you what dogs need to be happy and healthy and how you can then implement that knowledge so it gives a list of things that you should do. So for example when it comes to exercise the DEFRA code of practice basically says that you should provide your dog with regular opportunities for exercise and play with people or other friendly dogs and that you should give them the exercise they need at least daily unless your vet recommends otherwise and Absolutely. I think, you know, that is the right approach in terms of the, you know, it is saying that you, you need to give your dog daily exercise, but how you actually fulfill that daily exercise is going to be dependent upon your individual dog. So you'll have some dogs that love being off the lead and want to go off and play with other dogs and they're very sociable. You'll have some dogs that various reasons can't be let off the lead and will need much more of a walk that allows them to sniff and to get all of their information so that they're still getting that stimulation yeah. so I think you know people it's important that people are given guidance to know how to provide for welfare needs but I think we've got to remember that when we're talking about individuals there has to be that ability to meet that need in different ways yeah, yeah, no, I so agree. But, you know, um, it's interesting because when I first got Molly, you know, my my lovely miniature bull terrier back in 2002, I think you've met Molly and um, uh, then I was freelance. Um, I was able to have uh, a dog in the accommodation I, I was living in and it was wonderful. I was living on Lambs Conduit Street in Bloomsbury where there were loads of dogs and great little parks nearby and, and, and it was all fabulous. And I juggled like a single mum, my freelance world, you know, to make sure that Molly was looked after. I've had to go to a meeting. There was Auntie Pauline who worked downstairs. She owned a bull terrier once before, so she'd come up, take her for a walk, hang out, watch telly with Molly for a while, you know, and then I'd be home. And it was this massive balancing act, including always walking her myself, because in 2002, there were no dog walkers to hire. You know, it didn't exist. This dog walking service area simply hadn't started in 2002 and you relied on friends and family or maybe Sam maybe postulating this in 2002 you got a dog knowing that you had to walk it you know because I always think that walking the dog giving your dog mental stimulation outings training to do fun things for me that was a known thing when I got Molly so fulfilling that aspect of her life was um, as you say a duty of care for me and something I was extremely excited about doing but might it be because now the, the dog walking service industry is sort of for many people who've taken on a first dog in the last 15 years might think is normal. It's really really interesting because 
I think there's lots of different factors behind why people exercise and don't exercise their dogs. And actually, it's a big area of research that Liverpool University are currently looking at to try and understand why some people do walk every day and some people don't. So I don't think we've, we fully really understand it. And it, and it certainly you know, becomes quite complicated by the fact that whether or not people can walk their dogs is also dependent upon what facilities they've got around them. And obviously, we've got some areas that are now introducing public space protection orders that makes it more difficult so I think it's I think it's just it's hugely complicated um, but absolutely in terms of some of the research that we've done does show that people really do know that dogs need exercise but whether that translates then into their behavior is a completely separate issue right so you know we've asked people in terms of like you know how strongly would you agree that dogs need to have regular exercise at least once a day and we get some you know over 90 percent of people that have been surveyed will say yes i would very strongly agree but when you then ask them so you know how often do you walk your dog what we were really surprised to see is like six percent of people said well not every day one percent didn't even know how often they exercise their dogs um i mean in, you know the good news is, is that actually a good proportion of people were but you know, I just I think it's it's perhaps people forgetting sometimes what dogs do actually need. And I've always felt very strongly about exercise when it comes to dogs, because I think often people tend to look at exercise in the same way as we think about exercise for ourselves. So I do a lot of exercise myself and I cycle regularly and I run regularly as well and I do that very much for my own mental health benefits but I know that there's lots of people out there that obviously do it for physical health benefits and I think that sometimes translates into dogs so when people think about I need to take my dog for a walk it's very much about I need to take my dog to a field for 30 minutes and let them run around right yeah. whereas actually from a dog's point of view they'd get as much enjoyment if not more enjoyment if they can just do what they want to do on a walk and a lot of that of the time that is sniffing and this exactly. is something that I think a lot of people really don't understand that dogs see their world through their nose and they get all of their information through their sense of smell and they communicate using lots of different odors and we have a massive impact on that when it comes to walking because, oh, you know, you, can, yeah. you see people, don't you, going out for a walk, dragging the dogs away from lampposts or dragging them away from areas they want to sniff. Yeah, and you've got the other ones that are on bicycles and the yeah. dog's on a lead, you know, just literally running with its tongue hanging out, you know, to keep up with the bicycle. We have a, that's quite common here in London um, and then of course you know you, you you have your dog walkers that might take out I count regularly you know um, near me on the Hackney Marshes 12 <gasps> nine dogs at once with two people and you know the dogs are milling around and that's fine but the the problem is I feel sometimes these walkers are quite intimidating to the likes of me for example you know I go out always with Prudence my miniature bull terrier and my little you know rehomed English toy terrier Mr Binks but he's quite a fragile little character because he's only got one hip and he does very well though you know you met Mr. Binks at the Christmas. Yes, um, I did. Yeah, yes, yeah, he came to the Christmas carol <laughs> service, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, and um, yeah, so, you know, what I'm saying is, I feel, I, I don't know what, what the RSPCA is doing to perhaps bring in some regulations um, about dog walkers on the basis that, you know, people don't have their time to walk the dog themselves, which, so it's great they're 
accommodating exercise through the dog walker, but dog walkers have got a lot of dogs between two people. Are these dogs in the dog walker's care getting the enrichment they really need? You know, they're not with their owners. What is the RSPCA doing about regulations for dog walkers, Sam? Yeah, so, so we are concerned about the lack of regulation around dog walking. So in October 2018, there was new regulations that were introduced and they cover a number of different activities that involve animals in England. Um, so, for example, dog breeding, dog boarding, um, home care, daycare. But unfortunately, dog walkers were not actually included. And we really want to see this profession to be regulated. Now, it's fair to say that in some areas, local authorities do actually license dog walkers, but it's a real postcode lottery. And sadly, there are commercial dog walkers out there who are very prepared to exploit the need for dog walking services, because as you say, we've seen an explosion in it over recent years, and more and more people are using those sorts of services. But you do see, as you say, you know, people that are offering to exercise too many dogs, and in conditions which don't provide for you know, dogs' welfare needs in general, let alone the welfare needs of individual dogs. So the RSPCA is very much of the view that we absolutely need to see regulation around this part of the industry, both to protect dog welfare, but also to give owners the assurance that their dog is being well looked after. Because like you say, lots and lots of dog owners are reliant upon this service and they think that it's doing right by their dog but in some situations you know they're paying money to someone who doesn't really know what they're doing doesn't understand dog welfare doesn't understand the legislation that surrounds dogs you know and it is it is a real risk hence why you then end up with people that are walking large numbers of dogs which i think you know you have you have to be realistic in terms of can you really control eight dogs if you're walking them just as one individual exactly. I, I don't see how you possibly can um, and I also don't see how you can be catering for each of that dog's individual needs either so in the absence of regulation um, and, and we really hope DEF is going to review the regulations actually for England next year and is going to look at what was omitted at the time in 2018 and we really hope that this is an opportunity for dog walkers to be introduced into that regulation but also groomers and behaviour therapists and trainers as well um, but in the absence of those regulations the RSPCA worked with Dogs Trust and the Pet Industry Federation to basically create some guidelines um, and the aim of this was to, to raise standards basically within the dog walking industry and to make sure that dog welfare was safeguarded. So there is a framework within that guidance that helps dog walkers to know what is expected of them in terms of their impact on the environment, other people, other animals, what the legislation is, what dogs need, but it's also there to help pet owners understand what they should expect from a suitable dog walker as well. Yeah. So, you know, we really want to see regulation, but in the meantime, you know, we, we've tried to produce, we produce these guidelines, which is basically trying to actually raise that standard and to help people. I think that's brilliant, actually, you know, um, for, as you say, for the dogs and, and for their owners, you know, there's been, there's um, a piece on the news recently about a boxer named Bella, who oh gosh it's awful you probably saw it yes. um the dog walker yeah you saw the one yeah. that was caught on their home cctv or webcam they'd noticed their boxers behavior 
was a bit different. So they, yeah, they they caught the dog dog sitter walker um, on camera beating Bella, you know, which is absolutely, you know, mm. awful. And there's other stories of dogs that have, you know, gone missing. Terrible couple of stories, you know, that have happened that dogs have died in transit, you know, because some dog walkers have vans to take them out of London or whatever for the day. And of course, when it's hot, we all know <laughs> dogs yeah. die in hot cars. You know, yeah. we've had this message, Sam, drilled into us. Well, for as long as I remember, and, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, but, you know, it was well known in, in the early 70s that you don't leave a dog in a hot car. <laughs> you know, it's not new. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're, if you're an owner that is paying for a service and the person who's providing that service is doing that type of thing, you know, it, it's hugely, hugely worrying. And I think the other thing as well is that, you know, there's obviously, we're, t- we're talking about, you know, a few individuals within what is a, is quite now a large industry. But there is also, going back to the point, I guess, that I made earlier about there is a need, I think, for anyone that is interacting with dogs to have a good knowledge of dog behaviour and dog welfare. And I think that's what we also want to see through this regulation as well, because, you know, scientific scientific understanding is advancing all of the time we, you know we continually learn so much about dogs and it often challenges things that we've done for years and years and means that we've got to change what we've we've been doing and so i think you know again regulation becomes quite important because it can actually ensure that people are maintaining a more up-to-date knowledge um, and I think that's often what we need to see as well um, so yeah I mean we, we are very much behind regulation of, of, of all of the bits really of the dog services that got left out unfortunately in 2018. Yes yes no that that well that sounds amazing and I was aware of this 2018 kind of am, an amendment to addition to the Animal Welfare Act but essentially though under the Animal Welfare Act there is a clause, I think, that says that when I, if I walked flow for you one day, you know, you've trusted me as a professional with your dog to, you know, uh, fulfill a service that has been paid for. But under the animal, isn't it actually a criminal offence then that if something awful and unprecedented um, happened to the flow in my care you know heavens forbid and hopefully it wouldn't but you know what I mean that Mm. she was stolen or she ended up run over or mauled by another dog or you know any of these things it is is it is it not a criminal offense on behalf of that dog walker when you use somebody else to provide care for your dog and actually it doesn't even have to be someone that you pay for so so say for example I looked after Mr Binks for you but there was no exchange of money I would still be legally responsible for his welfare in your absence and you would as well. So, so you at any point remain legally responsible for your dog's needs even when you're away but the person that's actually looking after them temporarily also has that legal responsibility as well and I think this is often what people are unaware of and, and actually that's not surprising because when we look at the general awareness around the Animal Welfare Act the PDSA do a state to the nation pet well-being report every year and they always ask people that they survey what their awareness of the animal welfare act is and it's shockingly low so last year over a quarter of people said they were unaware of the different animal welfare acts within the uk um, and you know and it, then when you think about the different welfare needs so it's not it's not surprising that people don't know what their legal responsibility is when they when they're not even aware that the act is there but it's really important that people are aware of it because yes you're right you know you become legally responsible for someone else's dog and if something happens 
then you, you are potentially then you know in breach of that legislation yeah yeah i you know and and it's this this should be in place i mean you know dogs now as you say you know their, their emotional intelligence is is now so proven and as you say you know only 10 years ago scientists were very skeptical about dogs having emotional intelligence as crazy as that might seem to you <laughs> and i but you know so things have moved so much more forward and some people live alone with their dog you know and their dog is their family literally and no one can ever say it's just a dog because clearly it isn't. So in trusting someone, it's, it's as or more or certainly equal to somebody looking after your child for the afternoon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You and, know, isn't and it? This, this sounds really bad, but I probably trust someone more to look after my nine-year-old than I would my dog yeah, no, <laughs> because well. I, I've probably got more faith in their ability to do it and I and you know I, I, I say that semi-jokingly but you know if, whenever I've had friends that have looked after like, any of my dogs I have I have always said you know I, I don't mean to frighten you but just so that you're aware so you know when you so when you take them out for example you know just just be super careful in terms of what you're doing don't don't just assume that you can let one of them off and everything will be absolutely fine you know that type of thing mm. um i think it's again this going right back to what we were saying at the beginning sometimes sort of like this misunderstanding around dogs and expectations of dogs and i, and I guess my big fear is that if someone's looking after Flo especially you know if they let her off the lead and she didn't come back mm. you know it's like there will be you know she's got a very very good recall but I'm also very aware that she is she's a she's a dog and sometimes there are things that she finds absolutely fascinating and way more motivating than anything else around her yes um, and people don't necessarily appreciate that so and if they don't have the skills you know to work really hard to get that recall to happen which might mean sitting on the grass and doing funny sounds and know the tricks that, it, as, that you've trained her to bring that recall in at that moment where you know we all have it with our dogs hmm, shall I come back to you <clears throat> or shall I just go over there because there's a bit of really great fox poo that I need yes. to investigate <laughs> you know it's a hard decision you or fox poo you know and normally fox poo wins um so you know but if you don't know anything about dogs then that's very difficult so and sometimes I always think ego gets in the way as well it's like yeah you know yeah you know I had a Labrador when I was a kid and I, I you know I, I can walk prudence I mean got to be joking Sam you know my miniature bull terrier she has been walked in five years by somebody who is not me twice Okay. I know, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. I had to be very committed to her because she was very bouncy <sighs> and um, needed you know, a huge well. We, we're ongoing with her training. So oh, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm so proud oh, of this. Seen you've it. seen it. Yeah. Have you seen what I'm about to say? <laughs> yeah. So Prue might become a truffle hound. <laughs> Which I, is super, it's so exciting. Um, and <laughs> because in before I joined the RSPCA, I used to work for a research, research agency, the Ministry of Defence, and I worked with detection dogs. Oh. Um, obviously searching for arms and explosives and drugs and firearms and all of that sort of stuff but I got I really really love detection dogs and I love dogs noses and all the olfactory stuff so yeah I was super excited when I saw what you were doing oh thank you well, she seems to have a natural aptitude for it but maybe we shouldn't be surprised I mean her nose 
is is designed you know it's one of the biggest shaped noses in in the dog world you know and so Dave Wardell who's helping me do this because you know I've never trained a dog for accurate scent discrimination work I've trained Prue from the get-go to find her tennis ball in a bush and that has helped of course with the process and funnily enough when we go around Hackney Marshes Sam she's hilarious hilarious she upcycles tennis balls so she'll be gone in some bushes for ages and then pops out (laughs) proud as punch you know with a tennis ball you know so yeah but we we digress but there'll be more on that but I'll keep you posted but yes exactly you know and I oh for me I couldn't live with myself if I didn't enrich my dogs and have their projects um Prue I think you know this is her calling maybe because she's Mm. quite Lara Croft so um (laughs) She doesn't mind, you know, I know, but we, but, oh, Sam, I know, let's hope these DEFRA changes and discussions next year will bring in some tighter regulations so that we can all enjoy the dogs that have really been by our side, right, through this most unprecedented time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because, you know, it's just like you said right at the beginning, I think so many of us wouldn't have known what to do without our dogs by our sides. And, you know, I think, if more than anything it's just it just shows what a you know a huge space they take in people's families and in their hearts and, and they deserve so much from us you know they've, they've taken us through this really horrendous crisis that's had a huge impact on everybody and you know, I just really strongly feel that we owe them so much for what they give to us um so yeah I think it's just if I'd urge anyone listening to this it is you know it's just making sure that we know you know, we know everything that we need to know about dogs in terms of what they need and making sure that we behave in ways that gives them the best chance of being happy and healthy. I agree. And, you know, to remember a dog's life isn't programmed to be long enough. So when they're gone, the worst thing you you want to have is any regrets. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I lost my, um, I lost my Labrador cross Mastiff last year. He was 13. Um, And just he, he was my my first sort of proper family dog that I had with my husband now um and it's yeah his loss was I I have never experienced anything like it I it really really hit me very very hard I don't think I expected to feel the way that I felt and for as long as I felt as well um it, it was just beyond devastating but you know I I'm I'm so thankful to the everything he taught me. He was an absolute amazing superstar. So yeah, I miss him hugely, but he's you know, he taught me so much about dogs. He was fantastic. Oh, I know, but he he's he's around. I honestly believe in um energies and um you know what they say, you know, the the one dog shatters your heart and then every other dog that you have the privilege to own thereafter puts your heart together again until you have the heart of a dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh dear, so on that note, gosh, (laughs) burst into tears. (laughs) But no, we mustn't underestimate dogs and thank heavens for the RSPCA. And I I so feel connected due to my dad. So I used to go around, you know, with a tin with my dad, door to door. We used to go around and I know it was uh, fond memories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And obviously sounds like it's had a huge impact. 
total massive impact. Oh, without doubt. You know, I remember once dad was in the Shropshire Star. So funny because <laughs> we had these owlets camping in our greenhouse because they'd been brought in, you see, just to dad's. You know, it was a, a very different world then in sort of the early 70s, dating myself terribly here. But and then so dad sort of really made friends with these little owlets. And there's this picture of two out, one owlet on each shoulder and one owlet on his head in the Shropshire Stars. They were then taken, obviously, for ongoing rehabilitation, but they were just dumped in a box on our door, <laughs> on our doorstep. But that was Shropshire, you know, where there are owls and things, yes. you know, so, <laughs> not <in> London. <laughs> no. But yeah, he taught me everything I knew about dogs and all our dogs obviously were rescues. And that's the legacy that, you know, you've got to continue really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, the, the other thing that's, that has been one of the positives to come out of the, um, the coronavirus as well is we, we have seen lots of people that have been really interested in adoption as well. You know, we've, we've focused quite a lot um, on people that are going out and buying puppies when we talk about this as an issue. But we've also seen a lot of people that really want to adopt, which is just fantastic from our point of view. You know, if, if people can give those dogs the lives that they need, then you know that's it is absolutely great because as you said you know we've we've always got lots and lots of dogs that need to be rehomed has as do lots of the animal welfare organizations not just the rspca and i think you know giving that dog a second chance is one of the best things that you can possibly do i agree you know i mean to be honest mr binks is a rehome and i totally agree with you gremlin my cat is a stray and then prudence okay she is a naughty pedigree you know she is mm -hmm. um she had to fulfill a hole when Molly passed, which broke me completely, utterly mm. derailed me. And I, th I always think as well, as so long as you choose the right dog for your lifestyle and, you know, really research a great breeder and you don't let your dog become a statistic, I don't think it's a shameful thing to, you know, buy the the puppy of your dreams but providing you just give that puppy the best life ever but having said that you know adopting is something yes well Binks is adopted and so on and and the rehabilitation is is so rewarding so rewarding so yes but we need to talk again Sam don't oh, we yeah, so it'd be fantastic. for an update so there's lots going on and yes yeah so please will you come back oh yeah I'd be, I'd love to yes please yeah please do invite me back I will indeed. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Anna. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, I thought you'd approve of our seriousness that we take to walking the dog and the fact that you're definitely kept in line with the Animal Welfare Act. And I most definitely believe that you are a sentient being. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, subscribe. A Dog's Life is streaming on all platforms. And while you're there, you could give us a five-star review. That's because it really will help other dog lovers find us. Thanks again to Sam Gaines, who on Twitter is at Sydney Snippets. And of course, to the RSPCA. You can find them at RSPCA underscore official. And to Mike Hansen, my patient producer at pod people uk and for the latest on me check me out at at anna web dogs also to say thank you to our sponsors at earth animal 1979 and to relaxo pet at relaxo pet what's that mr binks oh yes we will be back next week that's because a dog's life is weekly so why don't you subscribe now and then you'll never miss another show